What are the most common mistakes you see those people make in their first time people management roles? Clinging too much to the daily grind, so to say. So that is one of the things that I see a lot. Some people call it micromanagement, but I would not. People are just like used to do the product management job and fill the product management role. And it really takes some time to let go and to refocus and think like, okay, now the only impact that I'm having is through others. So it's a bit of a meta role and topic now. And that is one big struggle that a lot of people are having. And I'm always borrowing this idea of building a shipyard from LinkedIn's Geoff Redfern, because he was saying this in one, I think in San Francisco 219, he was using it, or that was at least when I heard it. So the question is, okay, if the teams are building the ships and the vessels and the boats, how can I make sure the shipyard around it is really well oiled and working well and set up and in a good shape? And that helps so many first-time leaders to understand the role a bit better. Creating great products isn't just about product managers and their day-to-day interactions with developers. It's about how an organization supports products as a whole, the systems, the processes, and cultures in place that help companies deliver value to their customers. With the help of some boundary-pushing guests and inspiration from your most pressing product questions, we'll dive into this system from every angle and help you think like a great product leader. This is the Product Thinking Podcast. Here's your host, Melissa Perry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Product Thinking Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Petra Villa, who is a product management coach, product leadership coach from Germany. And today, we're going to talk all about creating strong product people, which is actually the name of her book. So congratulations on the book. And thanks for joining us, Petra. Oh, Melissa, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you got into product management, how you became this product leadership coach. Take us back. (laughs) Take us back. Sounds good. Back to the future. So I actually started my career as a software developer in one of Germany's largest publishing houses. The name of it is uh, Hubert Burda Media. And I quickly realized that I have yeah, a talent for the conceptual part of the job. So my colleagues pushed me always in this direction of, hey, you're really good in talking to the users and the customer. Could you please actually do this and come back with the requirements? So that is actually what they, so they really pushed me into this direction. And I fell in love with that part of the job, so to say. So I transitioned into more of a project management role. That's what it was called back then. And from there, joined SAP, did some technical consulting, lived on a train more than (laughs) in my flat back at the day. And from there, I decided that I have to move closer to the ocean, so to say. So I decided to move to Hamburg in Germany, joined back at the time, small startup, 80 people startup, uh, Zing. It is something similar to what LinkedIn does these days. It was a business network or is a business network. I luckily was able to learn from the best there. So for example, Marty Kagan was coaching us for quite some time, which was a great opportunity to learn the product craft, yeah, right from the beginning, so to say. Enjoyed my time there and then became head of product, later managing director of a startup that actually was working in the translation localization realm, I'd say. And then slowly transitioned into coaching 
and helping other startups to get their product culture right and to build their product organizations. Yeah. In the last five years, mainly focusing on coaching product people to get better at what they do. And the last two years, especially focusing on product leads because I've really figured out that so many product people, yeah, are not happy with the personal development, professional development part of their job. So that's something that I would love product leaders to get better at. That was the idea of the book and that's why I wrote it. That's great. So what do you hear from the product managers about why they don't like their professional training? Like what, what are their complaints about what they're getting today? And most of the time, so there is no guidance at all. This is a pretty common, yeah, common setting. So there are no career conversations. One-on-ones are always focusing on yeah, progress updates and how the product is currently doing, how revenues look like, how the KPIs are. So more of these things are in the center of one-on-ones and conversation they're having with the line managers. So it's really rare that line managers focus on the people development part and really spend some time to reflect on, okay, what is my vision for this product person? What do they need to learn to be really be a competent product manager in my own definition? And how could I help them get there and really be their coach and their companion? And that is something. So it's often really just not happening at all. That's the, a lot of the complaints that I hear. And for product people that are working for corporate companies, it's more of a, hey, you get a training once in a while, but it's not so much training on the job. And that's what a lot of product people are missing. So how can I get better in storytelling? Any tips and tricks around prioritization? stakeholder management, how should I be doing this? And yes, there are trainings for all these things, but a lot of people just struggle to apply it in their environment and situation. Yeah. And it sounds like you probably need some kind of mentor or hopefully product leader to actually coach you through that and look at those yeah. situations and analyze it. Yeah, bit it. by bit. Cool. So yeah. when you come into these organizations and you're working with product leaders, in your book, you talk about, you know, the five steps to really helping to form strong product people. Can you walk me through what are those different steps that you advise for? Mm -hmm. So again, from the perspective of a product leader or product lead, I recommend that the first thing that they do is reflect on their definition of good. So what makes a good product person in their context, in their company, in their industry, and in their own opinion, so to say. Because if you if you're not having this, how could you actually give feedback or have any performance review conversation with your product folks. So that is something that I encourage them to create. And it mainly touches on three things, which is personality traits. So what are the personality traits that I want to see in product people? Usually you have, that's what you hire for. It's super hard to to build this or to form this once you have the people on board. For me, this, for example, is curiosity or adaptability, super hard. If it's not there, so that's something you you want to put on the list and hire for. And the next thing is skills and know-how. That is really, okay, do I want them to do user interviews? How good do their user interview skills need to be in our particular situation? Maybe it's more of a technical role and maybe that is not the number one skill to have, but still important. So all of this is the skill part. And then for sure, there is a value bit to it. So what are your values? What are the values your team should share or your team already shares? And what new hires should be sharing? So that's step number one. It's a bit of 
define your good. Now I have to get up the blog post because otherwise it's super hard to remind him while I'm talking about them. <laughs> no problem. If you won't mind. <laughs> I was able to do number one. I'm writing too many blog posts, Melissa. I've got, I think the one I was following along with is called yeah. Ingredients. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have it. Cool. Okay, number two is a clear idea of where each PM is today and what their next step should be. So that can be just take a page of your journal and really write down the names of the people on your team and think about this usually rather vague vision for them. So what can they ultimately become? Sometimes it's just something like, okay, they're really good. So their storytelling is already something what they're really strong at. So maybe we can help them make this a, a solid skill in their career or that helps them in their career. So that's, it's a rather vague thing. And then the more tangible thing is the next bigger challenge. And for me, this is like, okay, what in an ideal setup and world, what would be the next product or initiative I would assign them to so that they actually can apply some of the skills they're currently forming or something like this. And that can be a side project that can be a more strategical product they could work on, or it can be just like helping with the onboarding of new colleagues. So that is step number two, have this vision and think about the next bigger challenge. And step number three is obviously to come up with a shared vision. So you should go talk to them and really figure out how they see their next steps, how you see their next step and have this conversation and hopefully create a shared vision of what they could ultimately become. And once that is done, I recommend to work with smaller development plans. I really like to keep it lean and light wide because otherwise it's, yeah, nobody's doing it. But if you have something like, let's say, prioritization skills are not yet where they should be, then that could be a conversation and you could use a framework that I'm using. It's called the future self. Super simple. Just is this, what is their current status when it comes to prioritization? So how does it feel to not have this skill at a decent level? So for example, he, the product manager constantly needs to argue with other people about the prioritization of their backlog. People are complaining behind their bags that the prioritization is not or intransparent or something like this, then the 2B. So how would it feel? How could others tell that the skill has improved? And the last one, the last bit to it is actions. So really small steps that would bring them closer to this ideal or future self, so to say. And then give it a bit of a time frame. I usually advise people to do a three to four months development plan of future self because otherwise it's super hard to keep track and yeah, keep momentum on this one. So that's the future self bit. And I think that was ingredient number four. And the last bit is this, you need a commitment to follow up with them on this particular topic. Sometimes all it needs is ask them if they want the nudge every once in a while, and you should remember them about the action items that they want to look into. And sometimes it's more, it's a regular checkup, in your one-on-ones and really like look at the action items, make sure that they're working on it. And it really depends on, yeah, product maturity, seniority level, all these kind of things. So the leader still has to have a bit of ex experience how to handle yeah, each and every of these conversations. But that is the five main ingredients, so to say. Great. 
So the first ingredient sounds like all of this is kind of predicated on knowing what a good product manager is, right? Do you yeah. have like a framework that you use where you're like, these are the skills that every single product manager should have? And then what types of flexibility or kind of adjacent stuff for each company would you customize? I would always customize whatever you're using for this purpose. So luckily there are there are several frameworks out there that you could be using for that. It's not like 100, but currently in the process of collecting some of them to put out a blog post soon. And the one I'm using or I have created is called the PM wheel. So the product management wheel. And it's a wheel because it talks about eight buckets. Um, so for example, is she able to understand the underlying problems of the user and the situation the company is currently in? Is he able to find solutions for these problems? So that's what we usually call discovery, right? The first two buckets. And then we go into topics like planning and get it actually done with a team and getting the software out of the door, the reflection, listen and learn part. So now that it's out there, what are people saying about it? How are they using it? How are the numbers? Team and motivation. So does this product person know how to work well with the team? It's personal growth. That's a bucket because I want to have this conversation in one-on-ones. So are you investing a bit of your time in your personal development? That's why it's one of the, the things on my um, assessment. And then the last one is agile, which is a bit weird because it has overlaps with the get it done part. But I meet so many product people that don't know the bare basics of agile product development. That's why I really like this bucket and yeah, talk about things like agile principles and values and all these things. Not so much the rituals and yeah, scrum or Kanban or all this kind of politics. So more like the underlying mechanisms of agile and that's why it's a bucket. And all of these dimensions, eight of them as mentioned, come with at least 15 questions. So more like, is she able to do this? Is he able to do that? So it's more of a yes, yes, no thing that you can be doing here. And then you get an overall score more or less. And you have an idea of what could be development areas once you have done this assessment. It's something people could download. It's on my website, strongproductpeople.com. It's for free and you could try use it. But I always encourage people to make it yours. So please don't use mine. <laughs> use it as an inspiration. I have two other blog posts out there where people explain how they customized it. And from these blog posts, you really see that they added their own dimension. For example, so corporate citizenship is something Arne Kittler added to his PM wheel because he said like in his environment, this is a key skill to have. So that is something that he wants to have in his conversations with his product folks. And that's why he added that. And I think that is really, please do customize it. It needs to be your definition. And there is no one size fits all role definition for product people, at least not from my standpoint. What do you do in a situation where like one of your clients might customize this? Or have you ever had this happen? Actually, I guess is a good question. And they customize it so much. It's not really like a product person anymore. Has that happened before? Once. <laughs> I, I've had it happen to me, so that's why I was curious to see so, if you did. So it know. happened once. It was actually, they were not yet my clients and we didn't end up signing this contract. It was a bit of a safe, agile, safe, scaled, yeah. agile company. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of this framework. So yeah. And they've really customized it to a weird place. Yeah. 
I think it's really interesting. I've done a similar pattern and I have my like own rubric for what I would do on there. And I see so many companies, I think especially ones that don't, like they're not typical software product companies, right? They're going through transformations or something and they, you kind of, you say, okay, let's define like what a good product manager is. And then they dive down into like velocity and, and all the, all the things that we would say is not a product manager, things more project manager-ish, more mm-hmm. deliverable oriented, not really why focused, more execution focused. How do you ensure when you're coaching, especially these people, I guess, who don't have backgrounds in product, tons of product leaders out there, right? In that situation. How do you first get them to understand what their team needs to be doing, even if they've never done it before? Really depends a bit on the, the, the setup and the mandate that I got from the company that I'm working with. Ideally, I'll try to get the mandate from the product organization. Um, not from procurement. So that's the other end of the scale. <laughs> procurement buys stuff. <laughs> and then nobody actually knows what to do with it. So, But if I'm in touch with the product organization and they're really happy to work with me, then this is usually not, not a hard thing to do because then I look at what they get. So my first question is always, okay, is there a role description I can work with? Is there any assessments used in your company? And it often is the case that the answer is yes. If they're using assessments, then it's often things like for your improvement, current ferry stuff, or it's 360 degrees, rather soft skill focused assessments, because that's what they can use on all of the roles they're having, right? So communication skills, are they where they should be? And then they're usually happy if I bring something like the PM wheel and ask them, hey, what do you think? Should we go through this exercise of customizing this to your needs and then use it in the coaching sessions. And if I'm working with PMs and we go through the wheel, they're all like, wow, this is pretty cool because that's easy to answer answer questions. So it's easy to answer them. And it really sparks some ideas of things that I could get better at, even this unknown unknown. So things that they haven't know, yeah, haven't had on their radar that could be things they could be adding to their role or could, could improving at. So it's more of an inspiration thing. And it's really rare that they're like rejecting it or, yeah, Frankenstein the hell out of it, so to say. <laughs> so most of the times they're pretty happy with it, reintegrated in some of the things they're doing. And I always encourage companies, so even if they're not using it on all product people, you still could use it for your folks, the folks you're managing and working with, even if none of the line manager is into all of this assessment stuff, the product managers could still use it as a self-assessment tool, even with their teams. So I saw great efforts from people using it with their developers and maybe an agile coach who has a good sense on what they could improve on and give feedback on a daily basis. Because this feedback on a daily basis stuff from how a particular meeting went to how the product manager is perceived when she's giving a talk, that makes the difference. Sometimes if the line manager is not there or too busy to take care of all of these things, your team could be helpful as well. So, yeah. So I've run into a situation too, where I get some product leaders, especially in large company transformations, right? Mm-hmm. They've got hundreds sometimes of middle managers who are managing product people who've never done product management before. Then they've got to basically create the rubrics and then coach these product managers. In my experience, like I always get asked, okay, 
how do we like train the product leaders in product management and then let them go train the product managers? Like, what do you really advise for those companies? Like, do you think they can take all those middle layers and level them into product managers? Like, what what do you do when you get deep into that? And how do you help them kind of develop the rest of the product managers in there? I think I'm still forming my opinion on this. (laughs) There is a current take on that. (laughs) But maybe if we would do this podcast again, I would change my opinion. But currently, so my current take on this one is, if you want to transform an organization, you have to bring in people that know how it is done. And then they could be yeah, leading by example and people the others can go to and ask for advice. So for that, that's something that you need. And then you really need to invest on this community of practice. So where people are actually saying like, okay, that's, that's a nice blog post. I read the other day and I think it could be helpful for us. So let's call a meeting and try this methodology or framework, all these kind of things. Because if they've never worked in product, that is some things that they need to do, right? So they they get in touch with all the frameworks all of us are so familiar with, all these jobs to be done and all the story mapping, which is great, but they've never done it. So they need to get to work and they need a bit of handholding there and how to do it the first few times. So if the the product leaders are up to do that, that is perfectly fine. If the company is up to bring in some coaches and people that help the folks to do it the first few times, that is perfectly fine. I saw way more people transition into product in a really nice way that I would have thought some years ago, because it is possible. And if they're already subject meta experts in whatever the company does and have this have this focus on the customers. And that happens in many, many roles, as we know. So customer support, all these roles have already this, oh, I really want to help these customers because that just is a weird thing that we ask them to do. So please, can we fix this? And I think it can be trained, but you need to focus on, of course, do some basic training in the beginning, then create a community of practice, make sure they learn on the job while they're actually doing it, get them to work. So put them in front of users. That is always how can you make them leave the building the first time? That is a critical moment, I'd say. Yeah, and then you really need to invest on coaching and it can be the coaching of the product leaders if they are happy to do it, the coaching with their PMs afterwards. And it's a bit of a training menu that you need to build up. So for free things, and so many of these companies are not connected to any of the great product communities, like, for example, Mind the Product, They never heard of these things. Women in product, awesome Slack channel, super active. You could share so many things there and hear what others are doing and where they're struggling. So that is all for free out there. And so many companies have never heard of these things. And then there are cheap things like buying books and running corporate book clubs or all these kind of things, all great learning opportunities, not super expensive. And a lot of the bigger companies are so focused on the training, which is a pity. Yeah, I find that it's all the stuff that you're talking about, like community practice, the books, everything else is just so needed to be able to make that shift. And and what you were saying at the beginning too is kind of where I landed after doing this for a while. Like, I don't actually think you can change an entire corporate 
structure or culture or way of working without inflecting it with inflecting. I don't know if that's the word, but like, <laughs> you know, injecting, that's probably the word. I was injecting, for. Yeah. injecting it with some people who've done it before and who like really yeah. embody that culture and can help create that shift. But I get all the time companies that are like, well, we can't do that. Like we can't possibly hire in somebody from the outside. And I'm like, yes, you can. If you want to pay them some good money, people will come and work for you. Like, yeah. you know, don't be cheap and, and, yeah, don't and be try cheap. to make and some people enjoy. Some people actually enjoy this from transformational moments, yeah. right? So yeah. I had a friend who is like a super experienced CPO for growth stage companies. And he wants to go be a product leader at like a giant bank or someplace that's going to do a transformation. Now, because he's done the growth stage thing so many times and he's yeah. like, I'm a little tired. Corporations move a little bit slower, but like I could easily make a huge impact there without, you know, working 20 hours a day like yeah. the VC world is. And he's like, I want to go and do my best and be able to have like a normal work-life balance there. But it's so interesting because he's, you know, talked to those companies and gotten in there and they're just like, oh yeah, we're not hiring right now. I'm like, you're, you need people. <laughs> like what's, what's wrong with you? Like you need, like you've got a product leader that's like, yes, I'd like to go to a bank, which is not something you hear every day. No. And he's a good <laughs> one. And yet you're like, oh, sorry. Like we don't have an opening. Like make an, make an opening. Like he could train all of your people in three seconds and, you know, it would be Mindset. insane. Yeah. Um, but that like, blinders on it. Like, oh no, we can't possibly, like, we just got to work with who we have just really shocks me every time. Yeah. And sometimes they, they decide to hire a few people, but then they have like 250 product people or what they call product people or what they have renamed to product people. And then they hire two ones that are experienced. And that is super hard for those two. They will get frustrated. So I'm currently at a 50-50 rate. So I think you really have to, yeah. Yeah, 50% more or less need to know what actually product is all about before you could really be sure that the product culture will be forming without a lot of investment from the outside. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like if if the people who know how to do products aren't given the good, the buy-in, the support and the other people around them to actually like work with, they're not going to stay there either. Yeah. And I think some of the companies are like, well, we tried that. We tried to bring in other people and they left. And it's like, yeah, because you didn't give them the infrastructure they needed to be able to be successful there. Yeah. Yeah. So changing gears a little bit, we just talked about a lot about like transformations, but let's talk about experienced product people who are now the first, first time product leaders, right? They're managing, this is like a huge jump. And I see people struggle at this, right? Like everybody... Everybody's so desperately trying to go from like senior product manager to director of product or VP of product, whatever you call it, wherever you are. But, you know, managing product managers for the first time. What are the most common mistakes you see those people make in their first time people management roles? Clinging too much to the daily grind, so to say. So that is one of the things that I see a lot. Some people call it micromanagement, but I would not. People are just like used to do the product management job and fill the product management role. And it really takes some time to let go and to refocus and think like, okay, now the only impact that I'm having is through others. So it's a bit of a meta role and topic now. And that is one big struggle that a lot of people are having. And I'm always borrowing this 
idea of building a shipyard from Joff, LinkedIn's Jeff Redfern, because he was saying this in one, I think in San Francisco 219, he was using it, or that was at least when I heard it. So the question is, okay, if the teams are building the ships and the vessels and the boats, how can I make sure the shipyard around it is really well oiled and working well and set up and in a good shape? And that helps so many first-time leaders to understand the role a bit better. And yeah, it's just like, that is something that a lot of first-time leaders struggle with. And then a lot of them struggle with the feedback part and the really care about the people that you're working with and not because they're not able to do so. They think it's just like not professional. They have to be now professional boss ladies, (laughs) boss guys and cannot be, yeah, friends is the wrong, wrong word for it either. So (laughs) that's not a good wording and not a good framing for it either. But you still can remain really human, care for the people you are working with try to be a companion, their coach, even if they're maybe the same age or maybe even older than you are. But as long as you do and you're having open conversations, giving them good feedback, I think this is this is the right way to go. But that's the yeah, biggest things that I see go off rails sometimes. Yeah, I definitely see those too as well. I've struggled with the, the second one myself when I was first people managing. I don't hmm. like confrontation. So I'm like, it feels, it feels confrontational. How do you get people to understand that it's a safe space and like have that open dialogue and do the hard feedback if they're like worried about hurting people's feelings or anything like that? I know that was a big struggle that I had. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So for most of the coaches I was working with so far, it tremendously helped to give them several ways how to structure their feedback and just like put them to practice. Because once you understood that, for example, the shit sandwich is not a good structure for giving feedback to praise, criticism, praise, it's not something people want to hear. But if they understood that things like, okay, describe what you observed, describe what the situation was, and then describe the negative or maybe even positive impact this could have to somebody's career. And then they're like, ah, yeah, okay, the impact makes all the difference because it's not that I want to point out something negative or just want to like say like your performance was not very chippy and it's more of the impact and really then feedback gets more helpful so that that helps a lot of people and then this is just ask people if they want feedback before you actually give the feedback that changes the conversation tremendously so that's a great hack coming back to the five main ingredients if you don't have a definition how good looks like for your situation and your company and in your personal opinion then it's way harder to have these conversations. If you have this framework and all of the people at your team know that you're using the same assessment on all of them, then feedback becomes less often a negative thing as well. Because then you're just like pointing out the gaps between your definition of a competent product management manager and the current skill level of the person you're talking to. So that makes it way easier and takes a bit, yeah, the personal part out of the feedback. So to say. Really nice. It's a lot more objective that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I first started managing people, that was something I struggled with. I think it's funny because, like, as a consultant, I can give anybody feedback and it doesn't bother me because I'm also like, it's your show. So if you don't want my feedback and you don't like, I'm, I'm pretty direct. I know how to sugarcoat it. You know, I know, I know how to get my way when it's a consulting thing. But I always think it's interesting. 
And I've heard it from other people who who've started managing teams because mm-hmm. you're with them every day. And then you're like, if they don't change, now I have to move them or even once you get to a certain point, that's scary, right? Because it's like, yeah. if they're not going to improve, they've got to move on. Yeah. And getting comfortable with that took me a long time. And I feel like now I'm good, good at it. But like that, I feel like scares so many people at their first yeah. time. For me, it was the exact same thing. And to me, it made a difference once my coach told me back at the time that in leadership, you have just three ultimate things you can be doing. You can hire the right people. You can promote people that are really doing the job well. And ultimately, you need to fire the ones that are not living up to your performance expectations because the company is not a family, right? So there, it's not unconditional love that is actually bringing us together. It's money in the end that makes the world go round. So to some extent, there needs to be this healthy performance culture. And once I understood that, that was kind of liberating because it was part of the leadership deal to let people go to sometimes or to find, and, and that's another reframing, another seat for them. Sometimes it's just like, They don't get what the role is all about or they actually get what the role is all about, but they just don't want to fill this role. Maybe not now or maybe never. And sometimes it's just that they're lacking the capacity. And if they don't get the role, it's often my fault as a leader because I haven't explained it well. What are my expectations? If they don't want it, then it's yeah on us (laughs) to find a new seat that works better for them. And if they don't have the capacity, then it's more a discussion of, okay, is it because of their lacking know-how, then we can actually get them to training? Or is it that they need to, yeah, just recover from the divorce they just got or something like this? And then all we need to give them is more time, which is fine for a certain amount of time, right? And that helped me a lot to have this kind of, okay, sometimes I just have to find a new seat for them that fits better. Yeah, and it's also better for them at the end of the day too, which I think made mm-hmm. me get a little bit more comfortable with that idea. Like, you know, not everything has to be a fit and not everything has to be perfect all the time, right? And if somebody's not thriving in that role, moving them into a place where they can thrive is actually the best thing you could possibly do for them. So yeah, yeah, that one's definitely hard. I knew it was for me. I hear it from a lot of other people too or managing people for the first time. They're like, wow, whiplash. Yeah, Yeah. and if you've done it several times, so I saw product people turning into awesome quality assurance folks and people, yeah. So product folks getting to software engineering, all all these weird transformations. And then if you see that work and people really like happy lighting up after they made the transition, then I think it gets easier. But the first two or three ones are super hard. Yeah. And then on a flip side too, I was just thinking about this. What if you're, and I've heard this from a lot of product managers, I actually got one of these questions on a Dear Melissa podcast that Mm -hmm. I did. Somebody asked this, and I think this is a good one to get your thoughts on too. Like, what if you are in the role of a product manager and your boss is a product leader who just doesn't get it and you're looking for the development, they can't provide the development. I've even seen situations too where the product managers themselves actually have pretty good potential but yes. their product leaders don't recognize it, don't develop it. So they're feeling like they're crazy because they're trying to do the right thing. And their product leaders are like, no, that's not what I want. And they're like, but this is what a product manager does. <laughs> so in that situation, like what can the product managers do if they don't have a product leader that they report to who 
is kind of mentoring them, developing them, or even like understanding what they should be doing or encouraging them to do the right things? The last bit is the hardest bit. It's not rare that I'm having this in my coaching conversations where product people say like, hey, but I'm reading all these books out there, Escaping the Bill Trap and all these lovely books. And I get what my role should be all about and what I should be doing. But it's just like not the environment where I can apply all these techniques. And then it always depends. It always is a conversation of love it, change it or leave it. And a lot of people don't change hard enough. So you can do crazy things in companies and try crazy things before you actually get fired usually. (laughs) So that is something that I encourage people to do. Really think about other things. Think outside of the box. Other things that you could try to convince your, maybe just your team to doing things differently. And if your team is successful, then it's maybe easier to convince the rest of the organization or something like this. But that is really a hard thing to fix. And if your boss actively disencourages you in doing some of the the good things product people do, then yeah, it's maybe necessary to go interview at another company. But let's assume your product lead is on more or less yeah, the same page about your product role and what product people should be doing, but they don't have the time to taking care of it. Yeah. To decent amount of their time, dedicated decent amount of their time to it. What I usually recommend people to do is form their own small learning network. What you need, and that's that's just like go find these people. So you need people that are able to give you feedback on a daily basis. So really, I was mentioning this before, how this particular meeting went or how you did the retro facilitation or whatever it is. So this daily task-related feedback, plus usually not the same people, behavior-related feedback. So things that I do that other people don't like or find strange or weird. And this is something, for example, developers find super hard to point out. They are good in giving task-related feedback. When they see me struggling with my retrospective, they're usually not shy in pointing this out. But for the more behavioral feedback, it might make sense to ask your line manager and hand this bit over to them. And so that's the feedback part that that you need to nail. Then the other one is you need to find someone who has a vision for you and really has this, okay, I believe you can become a great product person. And that oftentimes is a mentor outside of the company. That is something you could be looking for. Maybe it's a senior product person in your organization. And if you're a junior person, that often is the case that one of the seniors or principal folks really see the great young talent early on and have this idea of, hey, you can become a great product manager. Let me help you get there, at least with some of my time. And then you need to have this person who has this definition of what a competent PM would look like in ideally this company context. Again, it could be a senior peer. Again, it could be your line manager. If in doubt, you can hire, for example, a coach for a decent amount of time, short amount of time to work on one particular topic that you're, you think you're not yet competent or all these kind of things. But then you need to create this little group. And I see a lot of these groups forming in the Slack communities out there. The big ones where people ask like, hey, that is a particular skill I want to get better at. 
anybody else out there, I would love to read this book to get started, but maybe we can have a monthly thing where we check in on the skill, just like 20 minutes a week and dedicating to improving that. I think this is something people could be doing if their line managers are not having the time to take care of that. I think that's really good advice. Yeah, I I find that a lot of people who are very strong product people, it was not necessarily their line managers who were the the mentors, right? They went out, they tried things, they pushed boundaries. They found other people to kind of mentor them. They found an outside community. They found peers to talk to. I think that's a huge one too. It's like, you don't always have to go find like a super senior product leader. You could talk to other people in the same role as you and you'll learn some stuff, which I think is amazing. Maybe one day when we all back <laughs> at conferences and all these things and meetups are a great way to en- to engage with other product people. And a lot of us share the same struggles. So yeah, I would always encourage people to reach out. And you were mentioning something which is like contributing to the global product community, so to say. That is another thing that people are not doing often enough. So why not writing a short blog post about the book you read and just like, even if 20 other people already commented on this book, but why not share your take on it and what you learn from it and what you try to apply? So first of all, the authors are always happy to read <laughs> how you did when applying the techniques. And you still can find four or five other people that like your blog posts and then you become this little learning network. So put some of the things you have been learning, even if it's just like blog posts you enjoyed reading or all these kind of things but start contributing to the overall product community. I think this is another great opportunity. I think that's fantastic advice. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Petra. (laughs) It was fun. Thanks. It was fun. I really like talking to you. People who are listening to this, Petra and I have slacked each other a bunch of times and been in this uh, little community for consultants for a while, but we've never met in person. So it was really good to hear your philosophies. (laughs) Finally. Yeah, finally. Finally get to connect. So if people want to, Read your book. It's called Strong Product People. Can they just buy it on Amazon? Anywhere else yes. you prefer them? Amazon? No, cool. Amazon is good. <laughs> Great. And then where can they connect with you, learn more about you, read your writings? I'm actually pretty active on Twitter, which is at Lumista, L-O-O-M-E-S-T-A. And then it's strongproductpeople.com where you can find a lot more about the PM wheel, how to use it, the future self, how to use it. And I'm writing a blog on my personal website, which is petra-ville.com as well. Yeah, that's where I put most of my content. You can engage on LinkedIn, follow Instagram, whatever you prefer. I'm there. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you so much again. And for those of you listening, please go check out Petra's tools. She's got lots of canvases, all this fun stuff on our website that is going to be so valuable for you. And tune in next week for our next episode of Dear Melissa on product thinking. We'll see you next time.